take your seats, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted, uh, delighted to worship with you myself this morning and delighted to welcome you to worship. All of you joining us by way of audio or video podcast, welcome to you, all of you in Cafe Worship, Matt Betts. So we love you guys so very much. Open your Bibles, all of you together, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to take um, a Sunday here between series simply to talk to the church, to the church family, about the church. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, I want you to hear and overhear what we're saying. This applies to you as well. If you are listening uh, by audio or video podcasts and not a part of our church, but you're part of another congregation, what we're speaking about today is going to help you be a, a better disciple and a, a better church member in the place where God has called you. So uh, let's look together at the book of First Thessalonians. I want to start out by calling your attention to some images on the screen, and I want you to just look at the image, and first off, just tell me what you associate with this image, or what you associate with this organization. Why do they exist, and what do they make, okay? Uh, help me out here, Catherine, if you will, let's start right here. Uh, what do you associate with this image? What do they make? Why do they exist? French fries. Isn't that funny? Yeah. They make a lot of things, but they're French fries. This, of course, is the logo for McDonald's, the Golden Arches. If you're on audio, it's the Golden Arches, and everybody thinks French fries. And y'all know the best way to eat McDonald's French fries is to dip them in your chocolate milkshake. Yeah, yeah. In heaven on Thursday night, it will always be French fries and milkshake night, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Next one. This is... Yeah, pizza. This is Domino's Pizza. So you understand that they exist to make pizza. They contribute pizza to the well-being of the world, and God bless them for it. Next, this is, yeah, Apple computers. They use an apple, of course, which is the forbidden fruit. Lots of spiritual symbolism here, but this is Apple computers. They provide computers. They provide technology for the world. Everybody recognizes them instantly. Next. Yeah, chicken. This is KFC. Absolutely. When I was a kid, it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then they decided that, that maybe you would be freaked out if you knew it was fried. So now they just say KFC, so you forget that the F is for fried, but God bless them. You could deep fry a dish rag, and I would eat it. That's what makes it good. Keep going. Next. Yeah, it's the Nike Swoosh. What do you associate with this? What do they make? Yes, yeah, shoes, sports shoes, absolutely, Nike, you, you know the swoosh anywhere. Keep going, next. Yeah, what does Starbucks make? Coffee, yeah, money. You associate coffee with this image. It's amazing how that image in itself makes some of you want coffee, uh, caffeine at this very moment. Next. Yeah, 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 you're thinking gates of heaven, but no, this is actually Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Yeah, this is my second home. I, I, I love Taco Bell. What do they make? Yeah, tacos. This is a miracle place. You understand they only got five ingredients, meat, cheese, lettuce, uh, and, and shells, but they just keep, you know, turning them upside down and flipping around and call it something new. And uh, we keep making a run for the border and then the bathroom. That's how it all works. Next. Yeah, this is our church's logo. Um, why do we exist? What do we make? It's interesting how with every other image you immediately could say tacos, french fries, coffee, but you saw the church and went, oh, but what? Why do we exist? 
what do we make? If we don't know that, then why are we here? And if we know what we are to be here for and what it is that we're making, then we measure ourselves based on how effective we are in producing this. And, and, and if you don't understand, let me just say it briefly for you. We exist to make disciples. Jesus said, go you into all the world and make disciples. It, it is the one thing that we've been asked to do, to make disciples. It's not one of the things that we do. It is what we do. We exist to make disciples. So let's come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read together and talk about what it means to be a disciple-making church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 12, if you'll read along with me. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Okay, I don't always do this, but, but let's start at the end and work our way back in this passage. So let's start together in verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. If we start at that verse, then understand this is the purpose of your life. This isn't just something nice, if, if it could happen, or something that, that maybe you could choose. This is why you are born right here. I'm talking about you personally and me personally. This is the purpose of our life. And what is the purpose of our lives? To become like Christ. This is why you were born. Now, you may also become a doctor or a lawyer or a farmer or a housewife or, or an attorney or the president of the United States. All of that is beside the point. Those are important things, but the most important thing is your purpose. This is why God made you, and he made you to transform you into his image. Your whole body, your whole spirit, your whole soul. You are made to become like Christ. So, so this is your purpose. And the wonderful news is, according to the scripture, this is going to happen. It's not an if. In other words, although you and I sometimes are prone to colossal moments of epic stupidity, God has already factored in our stupidity. He has factored all of that in. You can't mess this up. I can't mess this up either because the scripture says God will make this happen. 
God will make this happen, and the one who calls you is faithful. That's what the Scripture says. So when I give myself to the Lord, it's His. I mean, this mess now all belongs to Him. And He says He's going to make me to become like Christ. I say, good luck with that, but that's what He's going to do. The one who calls me is faithful, and He will do it. That's what the Scripture says. So this is the purpose for my life. And the wonderful thing is it's a miracle. I couldn't possibly do it on my own, but it's still going to happen because God's going to make it happen. God's purpose for your life and mine is to transform us to be holy as He is holy. He's making us to be like Christ. Now, no matter what else is happening in your life, this is what matters. The person you're becoming, what's happening to your soul, this is the purpose. Do you understand that? We, we talk about this a lot here at Woodburn. We talk about it a lot at church. I'm not sure everybody gets it yet. As you know, we have a number of Chinese women who come in and often attend our church because they teach in area schools. And I was blown away by the testimony of one of those women who, who came to Christ in our church. And what she said was, it was this talk of purpose, this message that God had created her for something great, to to become like Christ. That is what for her drew her to, to Christ in the first place. She said that right before she left China, she had a conversation with her mother. And she watched her mother's life. And her mother would get up early every single morning and start working. Her mother would get up early and prepare breakfast. And then after breakfast, she would go to the market and she would prepare and gather food for the rest of the day. And at the end of the day, her mother would collapse out of exhaustion and and, and go to bed. And, And so right before this woman came to the United States, she had the conversation with her mother when she said, Mama, is this all that there is to life, that there must be more to life than getting up and, and, and cooking meals and, and going to bed and doing the same thing every day, day after day. There must be more to life. And her mother said, no, no, Coco, this is all there is. And she said she came into our church with that question, is, is this all that there is? Is that, is that all there is to my life? And she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a call to to your true purpose, to your true calling, and that is to become like Christ. God is going to do this. He's going to do it. You can't even mess this up. At the very end of all things, we will see him, and when we see him, the scripture says we will become just like him. We are going to be like Christ. It's going to happen. God's going to see that it happens. So how does he do that? That becomes the question. How does he do it? This process of transformation of making a person like me or a person like you to actually be like Christ, completely holy, completely loving and joyful and peaceful and all of these things, how does that transformation happen? Well, according to Scripture, it happens in the body of Christ. It happens in the church. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body keep kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He's talking to the church. Now, he's talking to us individually, but the church is individuals. The church is people. The church is all of us together. So the truth is, this is something that God is doing in me and something that God is doing in you, but he's doing it in us together at the same time. And here's what you've got to understand. He uses us in each other's lives. 
This is why when you become a Christian, you become joined with everybody else who is in Christ. You're a part of something larger, and God is doing the very same work in me that he's doing in you. It may look different in your life than it does in my life, but it's still the same purpose. And he uses us for one another. He uses us. It's a process known as discipleship. And here's a definition that we use here at Woodburn. Discipleship is a relational process. It's relational because it involves people. Now, I remind you, it's God's work, it's the Holy Spirit's work, and it's completely up to Him. But it's by His own sovereignty that He has chosen to use people. So he uses us. He uses you to make me more like Christ. He uses me to help you be more like Christ. It's a relational process. This morning, Rod's mama walked in and said, Pastor Tim, uh, how did you learn to be a pastor? How did you learn this? Did you learn this in seminary? And I said, well, seminary was helpful. But I'll tell you one thing. I learned to be a pastor from Woodburn Baptist Church. This church has taught me to be a pastor. God has used you in in my life. You understand? It's a relational process where believers love and invest in one another in order to reach maturity in Christ. This is the process, and it's relational. We need each other. The church is a place where disciples are being made. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A a disciple is, is, is a little Christ. The word Christian just means little Christ. So we're all becoming little Christ, and it takes a church to do that. Disciples are made in the church. Now, incidentally, this is why at Woodburn Baptist Church, we're committed to planting churches. Understand, we plant churches, not just to plant churches, not so much because the world needs more churches, but because the world needs more followers of Jesus. You understand, church planting is the way to do evangelism. You're reaching new people for Christ, and you're making disciples. Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples. The church is where disciples are made. So we plant churches. We want to multiply churches because we are called to multiply disciples. We're trying to multiply disciples at all times. Understand? So, now back up to the top of the Scripture. Let's dig in. If we're a disciple-making church, if, if this is what we do, we are here, we exist to make disciples, what does that look like from the inside? Dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Now, when we read those two verses, some of you automatically assume that that's me reading verses about me. This is Pastor Tim's way of saying, y'all ought to respect me. Yeah, Michelle Mayhall was making fun of me, by the way, as I was walking in this house today. She was making fun of me, understanding this is a good time to get her back. Respect. Respect. <laughs> No, understand how the early church worked. Understand how the church at Thessalonica would have looked. And I'll tell you one thing. At the church at Thessalonica, there would have been a lot of people that looked like you all. A lot of people that looked like you and probably nobody that looked like me. 
There was probably nothing like a professional pastor in the ancient church. I, I, I'm the new thing. I'm the weird thing around here, and that's why you make fun of me. I, I'm, the, I'm the thing that's different. The church is always about the people. And, and Paul himself was a traveling church planter, so he really, really isn't even talking about himself. He's talking about those in any congregation who shoulder the brunt of the hard work of ministry. Understand that? So we're not at this point saying, listen, we have a church staff and you need to be really, really good to the church staff. You should give them close parking spaces and raises. No, no, no. This isn't about showing favor to the professional clergy among us. You understand that? I can't say that enough. This is about those who do the hard work of ministry. And one of the problems in most any church in the United States is that we now have this idea that there are professional Christians, professional clergy, and then everybody else. The Bible doesn't make that sort of division. So when the Bible says respect those who do the work of ministry, we're not talking about the ones who are on staff. Paul didn't know any church staffs. All he knew were bodies of Christ in local places where people did the work of ministry all the time. And it's hard work. And Paul says you really need, really need to understand and respect those who are shouldering the work around, around the place. And, and that's less likely to be just the staff. We're talking about anybody who does hard work. Let me say it this way. Around here, everybody works and everybody gets paid. Now you're listening. Yeah. Now you're listening. Everybody works. Everybody gets paid. There is just so much work to do around here. Now, when I say that, I'm not just talking about my job or Rod's job. I'm not trying to say, man, we work so hard. No, do you just understand? There is so much work for the Lord to be done. There is a world full of work to be done. And we're all called to that. Everybody works. We're all workers. And I am not more obligated in, in, in Christ's mind to do the work than you are. Actually, according to Scripture, my job is to equip you to do God's work. So if I'm doing most of the work and you're not doing as much of the work, then I'm not doing my job well and neither are you. The idea is that if there are leaders in the church like me, I'm just supposed to be equipping you so that you're able to go out and serve God. Everybody around here works. Everybody must serve. It's just the truth of it, and everybody gets paid. Notice what he says. Honor those who are your leaders. Honor those who work hard in the Lord. That's what he says. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. You understand, how do we pay each other? Do we pay each other with money? No. Everybody gets paid by what the Scripture says. Show great respect. Show great respect and wholehearted love for those who do the work. You understand? Everybody works, everybody gets paid, and what we get paid is, is just the love and respect for hard work. In other words, it's supposed to be a place where we all expect to work hard, where everybody expects us to step in and, and do their part of the work. This is what it looks like from the inside. If our church is supposed to be making disciples, then everybody has a hand in that. Everybody has something that they should be doing. Now, notice what he says, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are idle. New Living Translation says lazy. Warn those who are idle. 
No, everybody works, and you should warn the ones who aren't working. Now, that's interesting. Warn is, is, is a difficult word. That's a severe word. Warn sounds like I'm supposed to stand in front of you and wave my arms and tell you that, that there are dire circumstances in your future if you don't change course. That's a warning, and that's exactly what the Scripture says. That for those who are idle, those who are not doing the work of the Lord in, 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 the, in the fellowship of the Lord, I'm supposed to stand in front of them and wave my arms and warn them. Now, now that's interesting. It makes it sound like it's dangerous to be sitting in church idle. Is it? What's the danger? Well, very simply, You'll never grow if you don't serve. You'll never grow. Remember, the purpose of your life is to become more like Christ, to make progress in your Christian life. You'll never make any progress if you don't serve. Now, this isn't about finding more workers in the nursery. We need more workers in the nursery, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about your spiritual life, your spiritual progress. Some of us have been Christians now for years. I personally have been a, a, a believer for, oh my goodness, 44 years. 44 years of worshiping God and becoming more like Him. 44 years of studying God's Word. 44 years of being in the body of Christ. I mean, 44 years, I ought to be way down the road by now. It's embarrassing to me to think about where I should be if I've been at this for 44 years. And I'm not the only one. Most all of us in this house have been at this for some number of years. And and the question becomes, is the progress I have made somehow in proportion to the time I put in this thing? And, and for most of us, it's, it's an embarrassing sort of acknowledgement that we're not making progress. Now, honestly, like most churches, our church has a whole lot of people who used to do stuff. They used to teach. They used to serve. They used to drive around and pick up kids. They used to be involved in this program. They used to have a Bible study in their house with their neighbors. They used to, used to, used to. But what about now? You see, the point is you shouldn't be sliding back. You shouldn't be doing less now than you did in previous years. You shouldn't have less hunger for God's Word now than you did back in college. You shouldn't be less inclined to daily prayer now than at some other point in your life. You should be continuing to become more like Christ, not less. So there's progress to be made. And I'm telling you, you'll never make that progress if you don't serve. It's just ingredient to the life of a disciple. Jesus is going to lead you as you follow him. And as you follow him, you're going to get involved in doing his work. And he is at work all around you, absolutely all around you, at church, of course. And we love for people to get busy at church. But listen to me, I don't want you to be so busy at church that you can't serve God in the rest of the places you go. I don't want you to spend all of your time at church. You're not being a good disciple if you just bring a sleeping bag and live here. God sends us into the world. God never tells the world to come to church, but he does tell the church to go into the world. You understand? So I don't want you on so many committees. We don't want you in the nursery. We don't want you in the choir. We don't want you so busy at church that you don't have time to go next door and meet your neighbor. Understand? The work of the Lord is all around you, and as you follow Christ, He's going to make you busy in doing the very things He's doing in the world. It's, it's just the very fact of life. So if you're not serving, you'll never grow. 
You can't be more like Christ until you start doing the work of Christ in your life. Is it making sense? I don't mean to be mean about it. I'm supposed to warn you, though. This word for lazy, this word for idle that's used here in verse 14, it's actually, it's a Greek word, it's a military word, and it's a word for falling out of formation. So picture a group of soldiers, picture a battalion of, of, of military men and women, and just imagine how they're supposed to stand in, in sort of in, in battle position, stand in, in, in their rank, and, and then you have somebody who steps out. They step out of their place, and that's the word here. Warn those who have fallen out of rank. Warn those who have stepped out of their battle position. Help them get back into place. Understand, once more, it's this picture of all of us together. It's not that any one of us should be doing most of the work. We all do our part of the work. But some of us, because of whatever season or situation of life, we step out of place. And, and my job, according to the Scriptures, is to warn you to step back in. We need you to step back in. Find your place among everybody else and do your part of the work. There's just so much work to do. Just a lot of work to do because of what comes next. Notice this. Show great respect, wholehearted love because of the work, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Notice what it says in, in, in verse... Uh, I'm sorry, I've lost my place. Encourage those who are timid. Be patient with them. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and, and to all people. Do you see how these instructions are for all of us, not just clergy, like I said? And the work involves so much taking care of each other. The, the word there in the New Living Translation is take tender care of, of, of the weak. If you want to know why there's so much work to do, it's because there's just so many people in the world and so many people in our church and one of our greatest obligations is to take care of each other. We take care of each other. Now, again, in the United States and in Woodburn, one of the issues is people think, well, isn't that why we pay the preacher? And people begin to think that it's, it's more my job to take care of everybody. Now, let me say up front, I love being a pastor, and I love being the shepherd of this flock, and, and I nearly kill myself to take care of you because I love you, and I love that part of my work. I absolutely do. I love hospital visitation. I, I love funerals and weddings. I mean, I, I just do. I, I love all of that. I love visiting in your homes. I, I love all of that. But I can't do it all. I, I just cannot possibly do it all. Now, when our church was 70 people, I did a pretty good job of it then. I can't do it all now. But again, come back to the Scripture. I, I'm not supposed to do it all. I, I, I'm not supposed to do it all. We have this incredible obligation to care for each other for the basic reason that growing in love is the surest sign of our growing in Christ. We're supposed to be growing in this love, and the best way to experience that is in relationships with each other. This is why it's so devastating that, that we have churches where they don't get along. There are churches that are famous for their fights, and, and, and God help us, may we never become that congregation. This is what I love about Woodburn. My, my son who is going into ministry, sometimes I worry about him because my son grew up at Woodburn. And if my son steps out into ministry, I worry because I'm not sure he understands that not every church is like Woodburn. 
This is a great church. I am blessed here. This is a healthy church, and this is a happy church, and it is for the most part a church where everybody is growing in love, and I love that. When I say that you've taught me to be a pastor, I mean that. You've taught me how to love and care for people. I've always seen you do it. But we're supposed to grow in this. We're supposed to continue to increase in this. And honestly, this is one of my concerns at the present moment. For all of our church's great history in loving and caring for each other, I don't feel like we're doing a good job of that now. And it breaks my heart. Now, I know some of you say, well, Brother Tim, let me tell you, I was sick this past week, and I've never seen anything like the people of this church. They came out of everywhere, and they took care of me. I know, I know, I I love that. But the problem is, you weren't the only sick person last week. And and for every good story that we can tell, now there's somebody who tells another story, and they tell the story of laying in a hospital in a puddle of their own urine and nearly dead, and nobody from church showed up. You, You understand? I mean, I'm hearing those stories too. So which story's true? I mean, are we the church that always goes, or are we the church that never goes? Well, we're the church that now sometimes does and sometimes doesn't, and we need to do better. We have to do better. Well, Brother Tim, you probably just need to work more hours. Well, I will. I, I will. I will, because I will. But now, you can't understand how the church works. This isn't about Brother Tim visiting everybody. Brother Tim will visit everybody he can. And, and, and if I don't make it to you, it's not because you're less important. There's not a rank around here, understand? It's not that, oh, you know, that person's sick and they give a lot of money to the church. Brother Tim, you go see them. That's not how it works. That's not at all how it works. If, 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 if I go, it's because I could and I, and I can. But if somebody else comes in my place, it's not because you're less important. I'm not more important. You think this is like, like the Andy Griffith show and, and I'm Andy and, and, and Warren is, 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 what's his name? Barney? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm Andy and Warren's Barney and, and Rod and Matt are Gomer and Goober. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matt does have some gooberish tendencies, but, but we'll <laughs> let that go. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I was sick and got Floyd the barber. I mean, no. And I know sometimes in our church people complain about the deacons because our deacons are given the responsibility of family ministry the deacons are supposed to be that front line and, and sometimes they they don't, they don't always make it either and, and i hear the church sometimes complain about the deacons you know i don't even know who my deacon is um let, let me say this and i say this in love as your pastor i i, I really do believe we've grown slack in taking care of each other And I'll take responsibility for that. I can do better, and I promise to. I need to, honestly. But the problem is not that you don't know your deacon. The problem is you don't know your neighbor. You don't know your neighbor. I mean the person in the pew next to you. That's the problem. It is not that the deacon's forgotten you. That, that's not the issue. The issue is you have forgotten your obligation to care for the others in the church. You have forgotten your obligation. 
We all do the work of ministry. It's not that just some who have titles and, and ordination do. No, we all do the work of ministry. There's nothing at all that our deacons are asked to do that every church member should not also be doing. It's everybody's job to care for the sick. Isn't that what the Scripture says? It just says you, you just do it. You show tender care for those who are weak. You, you, we all do that. And you have to do that. Ministry simply is, is what happens when needs are met, and that's why we're all ministers. And, and everybody here has an obligation and a responsibility to meet the needs of somebody. You're, you're a Christian, right? And you're doing the work of Christ, right? And, and so it is your responsibility to take care of one another. Now, I, I want to be out front. I want to do as much of that as I possibly can. I'd like to do more equipping to help those of you who are uncomfortable doing these sorts of things. But, but still, it's everybody's work. It's everybody's job. And it's, it, it speaks very poorly of our church that we're not doing as good a job of this as we can. Now, I know there are always complainers. There are always people. There are just somehow people that will make a game of this. And that's really frustrating to me, I'll be honest. I hear it pretty frequently. I'll have somebody say, Brother Tim, I just want you to know, last Sunday when Rod said everybody shake hands, I didn't shake hands. I just wanted to see who come shake hands with me. And I just want you to know, nobody shook my hand. Now, this is probably the not Christ-like part of me that thinks this. But when they say, nobody shook my hand, I think, Good. Good. <laughs> Good. If you're going to stand there and put your finger in your nose and just hope somebody comes and shake your hand and nobody shakes your hand, good. Good. I mean, did Rod say, okay, everybody, let's take a moment and you just stand there and see if somebody, was that the instruction? I thought the instruction was, why don't you go to somebody? Understand? So maybe we have a, a basic failure to follow instructions here. But it's not about you being in the church to see who'll take care of you. And some of your minds are gone. Brother Tim, I hope that kicks in because I need somebody to come see me this week. No, 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 probably more than you need somebody to come see you, probably you need to go see somebody this week. That's probably a greater need for you. Because honestly, aren't we all supposed to be learning to, to love our neighbors the way we love ourselves? And, and so you need somebody in your life that you're going to start loving more than you love yourself. You need somebody that you'll put their needs in front of your needs. This is why we need each other. You can't do this without me, and I can't do it without you. You've got to learn to serve, and that means you've got to have some people to serve and, and just look around you. That's what the church is. And we're all doing the very same thing here. Now, I agree, some people can be difficult to care for. They just are. I mean, I had a, I had a guy once. <laughs> He said, could you come by my house? Y'all don't know him, so we're safe. Uh, he said, come by my house. I said, sure, I'll come by your house. I'll come see you because I'll do that. So I, I went to his house and uh, got to the door, and there was a sign on the door. You know, so I walked up and read the sign, and it said, Brother Tim, come in. Take off your shoes. Come down the hallway. Knock on the door four times. Okay, I'm done. I'm just done. I mean, I, it's like an episode of Criminal Minds, you know. I, my head's going to be in a jar. I am not going in there. You know, I went to my car and honked the horn. Her, her, her. I mean, I mean, that just got creepy, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, y'all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. One day, uh, 
We lived in Louisville, and I was a deacon at the time for a wonderful uh, pastor's widow. Her name was Ella Faye Boatwright. I loved Ella Faye. Uh, we had a blizzard in Louisville. Snow was nearly up to our waist, literally. And Casey and I decided to walk over and check on Ella Faye because she was a widow and the snow was horrible. So we walked all the way to her house, which was not that close, and I knocked on her back door, and Elfay opened the door and said, Elfay, I just wanted to check on you. The snow is horrible. I just want to make sure you have everything you need. I said, is there anything you need? Because Casey and I will we'll walk to the grocery for you. Now, the grocery's not close, but, but we were going to do that for her. I mean, she's a widow, and she said, oh, Tim, I'm so glad you're here. As a matter of fact, there is something I need. I said, Elfay, what is it? I'm thinking insulin, you know, heart medicine. She said, I really need some of those soft batch chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so, okay, all right. So, walking through the snow. We walked through the snow and brought her back a box of, of soft batch, I mean, like, like it was medicine. Uh, it's just what we do, all of us together. It's just what we do. We just try to take care of people. We do what we can, not what we can't. You understand? And not one of us can do it all, but but we can all do something. And and there's real danger in in in, in falling into that habit where you're in the church, but you're not doing any part of the work of the church. Because if you're not serving, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're not becoming more like Christ. And if you're not becoming more like Christ, you. You're wasting your life. Around here, we talk about this in terms of what we call the triple two challenge. Don't let this scare you. I had one lady who said, you know, Brother Tim, I was was really coming to your church, but then you did that triple two challenge thing and I quit coming. Because I really didn't think I could do all of that. Well, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to say don't come. I'm just trying to talk about your personal life of discipleship and what that should look like. And, and you got to start somewhere. So start somewhere. But let me make some, some, some basic suggestions here. First off, triple two challenge is trying to structure your week in such a way where you make your spiritual life important. And this is why we talk about it this way. I would suggest or recommend to you that that in your week, you try to commit two hours to worship. That's two hours. Now, you're going to spend one hour right here on Sunday morning, most of you, and God bless you. That's an hour. Uh, We have Sunday morning, we have Sunday night, we have Wednesday night. So we actually offer three hours of worship. If if you can't make one of those, there are other worship opportunities for you. A number of our students participate in uh, the the BCM 180 service during the week or the, the big college service at Living Hope. I'm telling you, just two hours in worship, however that falls for you. But make a commitment to, to be in worship with God's people at least two hours a week. Would you start there? If two hours sounds like too much, again, you're already doing one hour. Just, just make it two. Step up to two. But consider two hours every single week in worship. And then consider two hours in Bible study. Two hours in God's Word. Now, after this service, we're in the 8.30 service now. After this service, we'll have small groups. And I invite all of you to find a small group. If you feel like our church is too big, Brother Tim, I don't know everybody. I can't know everybody. You're right. You can't know everybody. Some of you will never even cross paths with those of you in the cafe service. In cafe service, some of you don't even know what the inside of this room looks like. And I understand that. You're not necessarily going to know everybody, but you got to know somebody. You got to find some group, some, some, some small group of Christians that you can begin to really connect with. You, you got to have that. 
Now, again, our obligation is to care for each other, and what you just have to understand is that we really do want to care for you. We want to care for you, but you've got to put yourself in the place where we can care for you. And if you just sort of come in on Sunday, and then you don't come back till next Sunday, you don't really meet anybody, you don't ever give anybody a chance to know you, it's going to be harder to take care of you. It just is. I'm just telling you the truth. If you would connect, if you would get involved with a small group, a Bible study, a Sunday school class, anything like that. then people can start to know you and you'll know people and you can start meeting their needs and they can start meeting your needs. It works better in a small group. Somebody said, Brother Tim, the church needs to throw my granddaughter a baby shower. I said, did your granddaughter come to our church? She said, no, no. Well, gosh, we just can't do that. You know, most of those things happen in our small groups. We need you in in a small group, but it's not so much about the group. It's about growing in Christ. It's about the Bible study that happens together in that small group. You can ask questions. You can learn. It's a much more conducive environment for learning than just in church where you hear me preach. The the whole teaching ministry is different from the worship ministry. So find yourself in in a small group Bible study. Plant yourself there. And then the cafe folks, I especially want to encourage you all to form some small groups. Now, I really haven't heard any of you say it, but I've heard other people say, you know, Brother Tim, that cafe, that sounds good to me because I like the idea of just, you know, in and out. Yeah, in and out. What's that mean? I like the cafe because it's in and out. In and out means what? I don't really have to mess with any people. Yeah, in and out. Well, cafe, we want you to mess with some people. You know, understand? We, we want to know you. We want you to know each other and love each other. You may be the cafe service, but there are nearly a hundred of you in that room. You're a small church. You need some small groups. You need to start knowing and loving one another. We don't want any of that in and out business around here. You understand? It's the body of Christ. Well, last thing, two hours in service. Two hours in service. Do your part of the work. Now, I would encourage you to maybe find one hour a way to serve here at church, and there are lots and lots of needs here at church. And when I say that, it may be a formal ministry position, it may be committee, it may be working in the children's ministry, the student ministry. We need workers in all of those places. But, but, but I don't know what your gifts are. I don't necessarily know what your purpose is, but you've got to find it. And again, I remind you, ministry happens when needs are met. So just look for a need around you. Look for somebody who needs something, and then you meet that need. That's what it means to serve. Two hours. What I'm saying is maybe spend an hour in in this local body of Christ, but then make sure you save some of your time where you can serve outside of this body. We don't want you doing all of your serving in the church. That's that's useless. There's a whole world in need out there, and you need to be involved in what God is doing in the world. You really need to get down your street and meet your neighbors. Do you understand? So make sure that in, in your serving the Lord, you don't just move in and live at church. You've got to spend some time time outside the church building. It's called the triple two challenge. It's, it's, it's a simple way to talk about sort of how to measure your, your, your commitment, your, your growth. It's, at any rate, it's just a place to start. Don't be afraid of that. If you say, Brother Tim, I can't possibly do that. We'll, we'll take a step in this direction. Take some step. Think about growing. Think about becoming more like Christ and, and just find a way to take the next step. If for you it's, it's one hour in worship right now, why don't you try to find a way to f- spend another hour in worship? Why don't you find a way to join a group? Join a small group. I'll help you find one. We can start a new one. 
you need to be doing the work of the Lord. Because if we're not doing these things, we're not truly being disciples. If we're not growing and becoming more like Christ as individuals and as a church, if that's not happening, then then we're not really being or making any disciples. And if our church is not making disciples, then we're wasting one another's time. We're wasting our time. We do a lot of things. Making disciples is the main thing. You and me growing to be more like Christ. This has always been a church that made disciples. It's always been a church where people grew in love and and grew to care for one another and to serve and to go into the whole world. We've always been that church. But we can't assume that those things are automatic. It continues to require a great investment on all of our parts, a, a willingness to lay some things down in our lives to make room for people. It means eliminating things from our schedule so that we have time for the more important matters of growing in Christ. You understand? This isn't easy and it's not automatic. And and it actually takes great effort and sacrifice. But at some point, I'm afraid that too many of us have stopped putting in the effort or making the sacrifices. The problem with that is not so much that you hurt the church, but that you stop growing. And if very many of us stop growing, then we are no longer the church making disciples. Let's come back to our priorities and come back to being the church of Jesus that makes disciples and serves and loves until he comes. There's really nothing else for us to do. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, it is an honor to be called your children. It is a privilege to be united in the body of Christ. It is amazing to think that you are going to have your way with us and that we will one day be exactly as you are, holy, righteous, perfect in love. Lord, we are not that now. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be on the path. I pray, Lord, that because of our fellowship with one another, we are able to help one another become more like you, love more like you, serve more like you, Lord. I hope that our influence in each other's lives, Lord, makes us all love you more. I hope, Lord, that in the way we relate to one another, that that your love is evident in this place. Lord, I'm afraid that that is not always true. Lord Jesus, we're just asking you to make it so that it's always true. Help us, Lord, to notice the people around us and to make learning their names important. Help us, Lord, not just to walk past each other like strangers or or sit by one another, Lord, as if we're mute and can't speak. Help us, Lord, to learn what the needs are and, and find a way to meet one another's needs. Lord, help us to love each other so well that we begin to love like you. 
Lord, if we can't love each other inside this house, we'll never have enough love to go and reach the world. So, Lord Jesus, help us to get this right. Help us to be the church that makes disciples, multiplies disciples and churches until you come, Lord. Help us to find our purpose and never to step away from it. We, we pray these things in Jesus' name, but for the sake of the church and for our own sakes as well.